Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have started a series called Unlocking Christmas, and we're going to continue that today and finish up this morning. But if you have your Bible or you can look at the screens, we're going to read together Galatians 4 and 4. That's where we started about three weeks ago on this series. So look there and let's read together. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Let's read it together. Let's all participate. Some of you are just looking at me like a calf at a new gate. Here we go. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Wouldn't it be good to be called a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Pretty amazing, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be here today to worship you, to sing of you, to laud you, adore you, and Lord, let your word be so real in our hearts and our mind today. And Lord, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. I heard of a little boy who was auditioning for the uh, Christmas play at church, and he wanted to be Joseph. But uh, for some series of events that was out of his control, another boy was uh, given the part of Joseph, and he received the part of the innkeeper. And he wasn't very happy. So when the night of the production came about, uh, the play's going on, and it's time for Mary and Joseph to come to the inn. And so the boy who wanted to be Joseph, who's now is the innkeeper, now he is, uh, he's at the door, and Mary and Joseph comes to the door, and and they said, we would like a room for the night. And the boy looked at Mary and Joseph and then looked at Mary and said, you can come in, but he has to stay outside. I mean, you know, that really creates a different narrative of the Christmas story. But, you know, Christmas can be kind of stressful if you are a, a gift giver, or if you're a cooker, or if you're the chef, if you're the one who's decorating the house. How many of you know it can be kind of stressful for a couple, a couple of reasons? Number one, the family's coming. And when you get all the family together, how many of you realize that there are some people who are just crazy in your family? If you don't know who they are, it's you. There's always a weird Aunt Gertrude or Uncle, you know, so-and-so that's a little bit weird. And I, I shared in the early service, and I've shared this many times, when I was growing up, I had some great aunts that we called the kissing ants. And uh, they didn't just come to give you a peck. They, they grabbed your cheeks and pulled them together and gave you that mouth-to-mouth -mouth kiss. And when you're a little boy, it just creeps you out. <laughs> Especially when they have some stubble up there. It just creeps <laughs> you out. And, you know, you're trying to get the house ready. You're trying to cook. You have some relatives coming in. And it can be a little uh, stressful. And you're looking for that special gift for someone. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, let, me, let me give you some things that over the years we've looked for that's been hard to find, and it's a little trip down memory lane. How about Cabbage Patch Kids? 
Beverly, who was in the early service this morning after I preached the first sermon, she came to me and she said, let me tell you a story. You talked about cabbage patch kids this morning. She said, when my girls were little, I got up at 5.30 in the morning and drove to Mesquite, Texas, because I heard they had some cabbage patch kids still available for Christmas. I drove there in the dark to get my kids cabbage patch kids as a gift for Christmas. She said, wasn't that crazy? I said, you know, we do weird things for our kids. She said, the reason I did it because the neighbor kids already had their patch, patch, uh, cabbage patch dolls, so I didn't want my kids not to have them. How about uh, Teddy Ruxpin, Beanie Babies, Tickle Me Elmo, Pound Puppies, the Wii gaming system, Pokemon, Guitar Hero, uh, Hot Wheels, Furby, Chatty Cathy. Some of you just woke up. Chatty Cathy. I, I did a little research about Chatty Cathy. Do you realize if you had a pristine Chatty Cathy doll today, it's worth between $400 and $1,500 today. And yours is in the back of the closet without the hair. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo, Easy Bake Ovens, Transformers, the right kind of Barbie doll. Mattel says there is a Barbie doll sold every three seconds around the world, and it has become a $1 billion brand. It's Barbie who has extraordinary, extraordinary waste and other different things that is humanly impossible. Well, it's true. So Christmas is about gifts, but it's about some different gifts, really. Nothing wrong with those gifts. The greatest gift of Christmas is Christ himself. That's the greatest gift. Um, when Matthew shares the Christmas story with us, he tells us about many things. The, the genealogy of, of uh, Joseph, who is the supposed father of uh, Jesus, but he's never referred to as anything other than the husband of Mary. He's not the father of Jesus. Uh, the first two mentions of uh, the names and the genealogy that Matthew gives is David and Abraham. And what Matthew wants us to know that Jesus came through this genealogy and it talks about royalty and the second name is Abraham. So he wants us to know the right royalty, the right race. Abraham is our father, if you will, and David is the king, the royal line, so he gives us the genealogy, and he talks about the royalty of the Messiah, even though he is the son of God. And then there's Mary and Joseph, and the angel comes and appears. The Holy Spirit overshadows the virgin Mary and places the seed within her womb, and Matthew gives us King Herod, who is, quote, the king of the Jews, and then the wise men and the magi come from the east, and we have the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then we know Herod kills the babies, two years old and under, infanticide takes place. And then Mary and Joseph has to take Jesus to Egypt to keep him from being killed by Herod. And then the word of God in the prophecy says that I will call my son out of Egypt. And then he goes to Nazareth, and that's why he's called the Nazarene. So necessary that these things are in your Word and the gospel and in your Bible because it is fulfillment of prophecy. So Matthew gives us fulfillment of prophecy. Then Mark comes along, but he begins with the gospel and the ministry of uh, Jesus. And then Luke gives us more details about the nativity and the birth of Jesus, but he begins with Mary's relatives, with Zechariah 
and with Elizabeth. And then he moves on to the birth of Jesus and he tells us about the angelic visit. He begins to tell us that there was a baby born wrapped in swaddling clothes and then laid in a manger. And the angels appear over the shepherd's fields and tells them to go to Bethlehem for unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But John begins this Christmas account in an entirely different way. There's really no angels, there's no Mary and Joseph, but he tells the story in his own way. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he begins to tell us not only this is the story, but here is the players of the story, and the main player is the Savior, the Word, who becomes flesh. Verse 14, he goes on, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or the... Greek says he tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what John tells us, yes, Jesus is born, the Messiah has come, but you need to know who he really is. He existed before Bethlehem, and he is pre-existing before creation. And he gives us that account because he wants us to know this is an ordinary birth, but an extraordinary child. Ordinary in the sense that Mary became pregnant. Nine uh, months of pregnancy and then a birth, but yet the seed was not Joseph. The seed is Almighty God through the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? So God is his father. So he exists before Bethlehem. He pre-exists creation. And verse 3, notice what John says. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Without Jesus, there is nothing of creation that exists. And, and then Paul picks it up in Colossians. So Paul wants us to kind of follow this thought of John. So chapter 1, verse 15 he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things Consists. So there is deep theological things happening here that we will not really fully understand, I don't think, in our humanity. But he's telling us that this is Christ the Lord. This is God in the flesh. This is, Matthew said, Emmanuel, God with us. Charles Wesley, who's the brother of John Wesley, he is a songwriter and a hymnist. And Wesley wrote the... Uh, the song that we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, there's a lot of verses to that, to that song. We don't near sing all those verses. But in one of the verses, this is what Charles Wesley wrote. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You know what he's writing? There is the birth of Jesus, and he is more than just an ordinary man. He is fully humanity, and he's fully God. It's a mystery, isn't it? But that mystery of Christmas is revealed to us through all of these accounts in the Word of God. Now, John is trying to tell us that this is 
He who is more than just a baby. Now, now Matthew gives us the prophetical. Luke gives us the prophetical. We need this to fulfill prophecy. But John says you need to see him as he is. The word became flesh. The invisible God now can be seen through this child. And now God is dwelling through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is important. St. Augustine said this, the maker of man became a man. Now that's an interesting line, isn't it? The maker of man became a man. So if we go back through all of the things on this Christmas morning, if we go back through all of the details, then one of the ways we see who Christ is is through the name and the titles that was given to him just through the Christmas account. Not beyond that, just the Christmas account. So the angel tells Mary and Joseph, here's a baby book, pick out a good name, whatever you decide is okay. Okay, wake up. No, that, that's not in the word of God. The angel looked at Mary and Joseph and emphatically says, you will call his name Jesus. Now that name means Jehovah is salvation or the salvation of Jehovah or God is salvation. There's a specific name, Mary and Joseph, you will name this baby. And then it goes on. He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Savior, King, Messiah, Son, Son of the Highest, Son of God, the Holy One, the Highest, Dayspring, the Word, God, the Light. All of these are in the Christmas story. Every title, every name appears there. So we get this panoramic view of who Jesus is. And in this view, we see that he is God in the flesh and he's come to save us from our sins. So the first gift, the most important gift, is the gift of Christ himself. But in the gift of Christ, there's another gift. It's the gift of grace. Say that with me. The gift of grace. Now let's all say it. The gift of grace. How many of you need grace here? Man, we need grace. And we need it very much. John talks about this in chapter 1, verse 16. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Now you just didn't get grace how many of you know you got grace upon grace? I'd love to tell you once you receive the grace of God, you're good because you'll never have another moment, a lapse of judgment, another sin, another moral failure, another lie, another issue. Can I tell you I would probably be lying if I told you that? How many of you have ever messed up since you became a Christian? If you did not raise your hand, you just messed up since you've been a Christian. Because all of us have messed up. Things we did that we shouldn't have done, things we should have done that we didn't do, which is the sin of omission and commission. So Matthew tells us in the genealogy that he gives us, and then also in the genealogy that Luke gives us in chapter three, that Jesus had some real characters in this genealogy that's given through Mary's line. Now, let me ask you, does anybody here have anybody in your family tree or your genealogy that is a real stinker? Okay. Could, could we kind of just go through this just for a second? Because let, let's look at where Matthew starts. He starts with Abraham. Could I tell you that Abraham was a little bit of a scoundrel? Now, God calls him to Canaan and when he gets there, there's a famine, and he really doesn't trust God enough to keep him during that time, so he decides he'll go to Egypt. 
So when he gets to Egypt, one of the first things he does is he lies. He tells the Egyptians that Sarah, because she is a hot mama, he, he, he tells the Egyptians that Sarah is his sister because he's afraid that they're going to take her and kill him to get his wife. So not wife, but sister. And while he's there, he picks up a handmaiden by the name of Hagar. He goes back to Canaan. God said, you're going to have a son. And uh, somewhere in this uh, basically 25-year span, uh, maybe doubt, maybe circumstances arise. And what they do, they, they try to help God out. How many of you ever tried to help God out? It usually doesn't turn out very well, does it? I mean, you know, God doesn't need help. We're, we're co-laborers with him, but you're probably not going to help God out, Eddie. So they're going to help God out. So they decide we're going to help God out with this promise of a child. And so they take Hagar, uh, Sarah, and Abram and give them uh, in, in a joint decision, I kind of think, to Abraham so he can have relationships with Hagar to produce a son, Ishmael, which has been a real problem. And, and now... You have someone who is having some relationships with someone who's not his wife. He's a liar. He's not trusting God like he should. Let me tell you, Abraham needs some grace. And then we move on just a little bit later on in the story, and there's the story of Judah. And many of you know that story if you were here a week ago. And, and Judah, the bloodline's going to come through Judah. We know that because prophetically it's going to come through Judah. But here's the problem. Judah has a son, Ur. He has a son, Number two, he has a son number three. But the problem is, some, son number one is so evil, God kills him. And the custom was, son number two should raise up seed or heirs through the sister-in-law so his brother would have heirs, but he refuses to do that. God kills him. The third son's not old enough to marry. But Judah tells Tamar, his daughter-in-law from the first son, I'll give you my third son to raise up seed and the bloodline's going to continue. I mean, you know, God's pretty concerned and he's pretty uh, much set on this bloodline's going to continue. And so when that other son gets old enough, he doesn't give that son to Tamar to carry on the seed. And then Tamar does something amazing. She puts off the clothes of her widowhood and she puts on a veil. And when Judah walks by and sees her, he thinks she's a prostitute. And then he has relationships with her and she brings forth twins. And, and so they said, your daughter-in-law's played the harlot. And he said, burn her. And so she has done some things to kind of uh, protect herself. And she said, well, if you're going to burn me, let me show you the tokens of the man who got me pregnant. And so she gives them Judah's signet ring and some other articles and and then Judah has to fess up. She's more righteous than I am. So now you have a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law getting together, which is not good. How many of you think they need some grace? And then you go on a little further in the story, and then there's a Canaanite prostitute that's in Jesus' genealogy by the name of Rahab. That's not cool, it seems like. And then there's a Moabitess by the name of Ruth. And, and then, you know, there's a great grandmother there that is the grandmother of David. So let's talk about David. David is pristine. He didn't have any problems, did he? 
He looks across his veranda and sees a woman bathing naked, gets her and gets her pregnant, kills her husband, and other than that, he's doing okay. Listen, Abraham needed grace, Judah needed grace, Tamar needed grace, Rahab needed grace, Ruth needed grace, David needs grace. We need grace. So if you're here today and say, well, listen, pastor, my family's kind of messed up. Jesus kind of had a messed up family. Why is that in there? Because you're not going to go through anything he hasn't gone through. We have a high priest that's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Listen, my friends, you and I cannot say, well, you know, pastor, I've had some rough issues with my family. You don't know where my father came from. You don't know where my mother came from. You know, I've got brothers and sisters that are messed up. You know, there's been drugs. There's been divorce. Listen, we all need to have some grace. And the thing about it, it's not just grace. John said, it is grace upon grace. And we all need grace upon grace. One of the things that carried us for me on the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, almost without fail, she will make me a big chocolate pie. Now, I'm just wetting the appetite for lunch here. But she makes me a big chocolate pie. Now, I prefer not to have meringue or calf slobbers on top of it. If you like it, God bless you. Uh, I'd rather not have it. I'm kind of a Cool Whip guy. So she makes the big chocolate pie. And so when I cut a piece of that pie, I take the spoon and I get the Cool Whip. And when I'm finished, you cannot see the slice of chocolate pie. I'm telling you the truth here. I just don't put Cool Whip on my pie. I put Cool Whip upon Cool Whip on my pie. You don't just need grace. You need grace upon grace upon your life. Because when you look at the things that we go through and what we do and the challenges we face, we need the grace of God. The ancestors that are in the genealogy of Jesus needed the grace of God. And God gave them grace. So one of the gifts is not just the Christ himself, but it's the grace that he brings now, the last gift I want to talk about this morning is the gift of reception. Say that with me. The gift of reception. Now, let's all say it. The gift of reception. What do you mean, Pastor, reception? We talking about a wedding reception? We talking about a reunion reception? Listen, the word reception means the ability to be taken in or to be received. Now, the very first passage we read, it talked about at a certain time under the law, at the right time, there was a virgin that brought forth a son so that we could receive the adoption to be the sons and the daughters of Almighty God. Now, what does that mean? It means that God made it, God made it available that you could be a son of God and a daughter of God. It means through the grace of God and the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we believe in him, God reaches out and he receives us unto himself. It is the gift of reception. That ability to be taken in. Now let me tell you how Matthew describes it. This is Matthew chapter one, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, 
We all have a sin nature. That sin nature that we have needs to be dealt with. And that sin separates us from God. That's what the Bible says. You go all the way back to Adam. Adam and Eve doing pretty good. In the cool of the evening, God is walking with them in the garden. Then all of a sudden, Adam's over here hiding. The Lord comes down. Where are you, Adam? Now, this is not like a cop looking for a convict. This is the father looking for a son. Where are you, Adam? Well, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? I'm naked. Who told you we're naked? The reason you're naked, Adam, is because you disobeyed God. Sin has entered, and now you're separated from Almighty God, and you're trying to cover yourself up. You see, your iniquities have separated you from your God according to the Old Testament. So sin has a way of breaching that close union and separating us from Almighty God. But this Christmas story is bringing us close to God and not separating us from God. You see, we need to have that reception. We need to be received. And we're received because, not because we're good. How many of you know it's because he's good? He's the Savior. He's the one who paid the price for sin. And that sin problem separates me from God. And the more I'm separated, the further I get estranged from God. You see, Jesus is the solution to that. He says, I am the door and I am the way. If we want to have that reception, I'm the way to have that union. I'm the way to get this right. I'm the way to get this back together. I'm the way. I'm the door. You can't come to the Father except by me and through me. So this is the answer. It's the gift of reception. And even Mary needed that. I don't know if you have read there in Luke when uh, Mary leaves Elizabeth and they're having that exchange. Mary has a song. It's called the Magnificat. And in the middle of that uh, discourse, if you will, Mary makes the statement that God is my Savior. How many of you know Mary had a sin nature? And she needed a Savior, just as you need a Savior, and I need a Savior. And the only way we can have that reception between God and man is the man Christ Jesus. Only one mediator, according to Scripture. And so the birth of Christ is that coming together, that mediation, that bridge, if you will, that we all need. Now, I want to just end with this because I think it's important. Have you ever thought about those who seem to miss the importance of Jesus' birth and coming? Remember the little boy who wanted to be Joseph and ended up as the innkeeper? There was an innkeeper. This is not just a story. There was an innkeeper. And when Mary and Joseph comes to the inn, there's no room there because of the census and the taxation, so they're turned away. Do you, do you think he would have made a different choice if he understood the big picture? How would it be, now think about this, how would it be if you had the innkeeper's log and about 2,000 years later, you came into some type of ownership of the innkeeper's log and even if he did not give them a room, I would have said, would you please sign the book? <laughs> what would the book be worth if you had the book and you opened it up and it was 2,000 years plus old and it said, Mary and Joseph was here. Let's take it to Sotheby's, let's auction it off and I can retire for the rest of the year. He missed it. What, what, what happened to Herod? 
Herod's in competition. He's not looking at the magnificence of the moment. He's not looking at the miraculous of the moment. He's just trying to find out who's competing against him. What about the chief priest? What about those there in uh, Jerusalem that knew that there was a baby that was supposed to be born in Bethlehem? But they didn't seem too concerned. They didn't look for the child. They, they, they didn't see the signs. They missed it. You know, you, you look at these people here that, that missed it, and you, you say, well, why? wait a minute. There, there were people living in Bethlehem. There were people around Bethlehem. There were people around Jerusalem. Not only just the, the night that he was born, not just the days after he was born when they took him to the temple to have him circumcised to fulfill the law. I mean, you know, there was Anna and Simeon. Everybody else seemed oblivious to it. How could it be the Son of God is born and he's going through your city, he's coming to your town, he's in the temple area, and you are so busy with your daily things, you missing. I'm kind of thinking it's going to be the same way when he comes again. I think the people who miss him at the first coming are going to be indicative of the people who are going to miss him at the second coming. We are so sometimes engaged in our daily life. You got work, you got family, you got things to do. I understand that I got those things to do. But you know what? I don't want to miss the miraculous that goes on around me. I want to miss Christmas. Matter of fact, not only do I not want to miss Christmas, I don't want to miss the second coming of Jesus. I shared this in the early service. It was really kind of funny. Let's say it's your birthday and your friends and your family is invited you over for your birthday. And you get to the door, and they say, it's your birthday, we're gonna celebrate. And you go, all right, my birthday, we're celebrating. And you go in and there's food and there's presents and there's gifts, there's all kinds of things. And they said, man, it's your birthday. Yes, my birthday. But all of a sudden, they exchange gifts between themselves, they open the gifts and you don't get any. You know, Christmas is kind of like that, isn't it? You know, it's going to happen at our house uh, Christmas Eve, and it's going to happen, you know, Christmas morning and at, at, at noon on Christmas. There's going to be a lot of exchange between gifts, and if you don't watch it, everybody's exchanging gift, and the real gift doesn't get much attention. And the real gift is what? The real gift is Jesus. The real gift is the grace that he brings. The real gift is the inclusion he allows us to become a part of the family of God. The real gift is he died for our sins. The real gift is that now I can be righteous in the sight of God because of what he's done. And just as much as sometimes we miss these things now, I want to just really lay this out for you. One day he's going to come again in the clouds. And the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And you know what? When that moment happens... When that moment happens, there's going to be so many people going on with their daily life, they're going to miss something that's very, very important. And some are going to try to make it up. Some are going to say, well, I, I was going to, I aim to, I, 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 I'm going to get ready. But you know, there's going to be a point where that's going to be by, and we don't want to miss that opportunity. I remember when I was in college, I was raised by good parents, raised in the church, got into high school, kind of drifted away, got into college, 
got worse, became a heathen. I shall have people come into my office and say, Pastor Mike, let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you how I've failed. Let me tell you my sin. And I listen very respectfully, gracefully, intently. And sometimes I think, you're a rookie. <laughs> I've done so many things worse than that. But how many of you know sin, sin? Makes no difference how big, how little sin is sin. And at college one night, I lay down to go to sleep. And I have a dream. And in this dream, I remember Christ came and he appeared in the, he appeared in the clouds. And for some reason, I had this large panoramic view. I, I could see miles and miles in this dream. And in the dream, I, I could see graves opening and people coming out of graves. And I could see people lifting off the earth and they're meeting Jesus in the air. But not me. I was there, not moving, not one, not one movement. And I remember the sickest feeling I had ever felt in my life at that moment in my life. The sickest feeling, and I remember in the dream, I said to myself, it was really true. It really happened. And I am not ready, and I am not going and that sickness in my soul and my heart gripped me. And when I woke up from that dream, my sheets were wet. I was sweating. I was trembling. And I would love to tell you that dream turned me around. Not so. After I got over it, guess what I did? I just began to live just like I always lived. Until one day, the grace that was upon grace got a hold of my life. And I came to an altar much like this in my 20s and I cried my eyes out. I didn't care who watched. I didn't care who looked at me. I didn't care who thought this of me or that of me. All I knew, I need to get right with God. Because listen, there was a lot of people who missed it the first time. Honey, let me tell you, don't you miss it the next time. This is absolutely reality. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.